Hi, this is Lucky Boys Podcast. I'm Will. And I'm Norm, and we have a very special guest here today, Wing Lee, production designer for Hollywood Films and also voting member of the Academy Awards. Welcome. Hi. You have quite a journey from what I was told. When I was in high school, um, how many 17-year-old people know what they want to do beyond that? And not many. Not too many. Not uh, many. And Me I was, being one of them. And, and I was also one of them. I, I just knew that I wanted a career a career somehow to do with art because I knew I wasn't lawyer material <laughs> I, I knew I wasn't doctor material oh it sounds like we're birds of a feather uh, I knew that too uh, right <laughs> so um, I was wondering what I would do because as uh, a Chinese American um, we we'll somehow were always pushed into or, or, or encouraged to go into those fields. The sciences, the yeah. Sciences, the sciences, the math, all that. Um, the STEM subjects. Yeah, and um, I, I knew, knew it wasn't me, but I was afraid to say so because I would be deemed um, unusual or not worthy in my Weird. parents' eyes. The black sheep. Yes. I was called yeah. that when I went to film yeah. school. It didn't even dawn on me to be uh, in film because it was just a totally unknown concept, mm. I think, at the time. Um, to most Asian people and, and students. Um, so I went to Brooklyn Tech High School, high school and um, if anybody who's familiar with that school, it's, it's a pretty good school. It's one of the best high schools in the country, and in, it was first started as vocational high school where you learn some, at some point in your four years in the high school, you, you, you uh, took up... Uh, a, an area that you can focus on, whether it's uh, architecture or chemistry or uh, electronics. Um, there was a course at Brooklyn Tech called Industrial Design. And I said, hmm, that doesn't sound like law or medicine, and uh, it has something to do with design, and there was drawing involved. So I, I did, uh, decided to take that up, and um, it, it formed the basis for what I would be doing later in life, and, and it, it really helped me. That road wasn't destined for you, and you knew it. However, you still went to Brooklyn Tech. So from there, you found a subject that you thought would kind of lay the foundation out, or at least lead you in the direction of what you would be doing for or exploring for the rest of your life. How did you take that and grow it into what it is now? Okay, first of all, when I went to Brooklyn Tech, uh, I went there because all my friends went there. Ah, yeah. And, you know, I, I wanted to uh, be with my friends. So that motivated me, oddly mm -hmm. enough. Mm -hmm. um, now, how did that um, contribute as a foundation to my next step? So from there, I, uh, when it's time to graduate high school and to go to college, I figured, okay, maybe I go to college for art. So I went to an art school, uh, Pratt Institute. Uh, among several that I applied to. Um, so I went through four years of, uh, I got a BA in art, uh, in commercial art. I majored in graphic design and illustration. So when I got out of um, college, I, I got a, a job at an ad agency um, in the graphics department. So that's how I got started. Where was your first break going into the film industry? I got a job at an ad agency and I hated it. And 
So I was wondering what to do. I had a friend who was in the film business at the time, and he told me that, well, you should consider the film industry because uh, we have people there designing sets, painting sets, drawing things uh, that go into a film that you might be interested in wing. And I said, really? Um, I'll like to check it out. So what I did at that point, I left the job my, in the ad agency that I hated. How long were you in that job? Uh, roughly two years. Okay. And um, I took my friend's advice and decided maybe I should find out something about what he's talking about. So I looked up, um, I decided to take a course at the new school called Art Direction for Film. Just to, it's an introductory course, just to show me what that is all about. Because many people really don't know what that is about. You go to watch a film and you know what the director of photography does. And you know what the editor does. These are all kind of self-explanatory titles. But if you go to a film, look at the titles, and you'll see passing by uh, in the credits at some point, the production designer. Many people don't know what that means. Uh, you know what the costume designer does. You know what the scriptwriter does. You know what the director does. But what does the production designer do on a film? Right. So I decided to take that course. Uh, um, at the new school and I excelled in it uh, because of my, my skills and I became very good friends with uh, the professor there. Uh, quite often the courses at the new school did not, the new school was, at the time was not an accredited college so I was, it was the night course I just wanted to take something that will be an introductory thing to, to teach me what this is about. Um, get my feet wet and I realized many of the people in my class are people who are just curiosity seekers out for the same reasons as me what this is about art direction for film so nobody was connected to the industry the film industry at all in the classes no not at the time but my professor was mm -hmm. he was a he was a working um, designer in commercials in the film industry and he we came, became really good friends um, and he kind of really opened the door for me in many ways. He had graduated from the Yale School of Drama years ago, and he went to the School of Drama once a week to teach a course in film design. The Yale School of Drama is a theater program. It's a full theater program with uh, writers, actors, designers, dramaturge, directors, et cetera, et cetera. So I said... Okay, um, hmm, that sounds interesting. Um, let's take it to the next step and see where I land. So my professor at the New School, uh, because he had connections to the Yale School of Drama, uh, knew the chairman of the design department at the drama school. His name was Ming Cho Lee. And if you're not familiar with the name, Ming Cho Lee is uh, one of the deans of American set design of the 20th century. On, on the stage. In theater. Uh, in theater, yeah. yes. Uh, again, my professor at the new school said to me, you, ha you have something there, but you need training. You need to find out what designing sets are all about. You need to learn how to draft sets. You need to learn how to read plays, and, and that entire world uh, needs to be opened up to you, and um, I would suggest you 
apply to a um, theater school, whether it's Yale or Carnegie Mellon or uh, NYU, uh, to learn more about it. I said, okay, that sounds, that sounds um, interesting. It sounds like something I may want to dip my feet in and check it out. So he made an appointment with Ming Cho Lee to interview with him for the next year's upcoming class, and, um, which I did. Uh, I met Ming at his apartment on 83rd Street. Um, I showed him some work, and he was very receptive and wanted to accept me. Well, that's huge. Yeah. Uh, at that point, I already also applied to NYU and other and, uh, places, and I was accepted. But um, I knew of the reputation of the Yale School of Drama as being one of the best in the world for, for many reasons. So uh, Ming accepted me uh, into the coming uh, class, and I was very excited. Uh, and I, when the time came in September, I moved to New Haven and enrolled, and I spent three wonderful years at the drama school. Uh, and the reason why I say they're wonderful is because you're there with your peers who are there for the same reasons, to mm -hmm. make wonderful theater, whether it's acting or writing or designing or directing. So, so everyone there was just super passionate about the game. You were probably just all learning from each, each other. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. that's great. The advantage of a, of a place like the Yale School of Drama is that they connected to the Yale Repertory Theater, which is a very well-known, legitimate regional theater. So we got really kind of like hands-on practice uh, in, 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 on every level of coming up with, with a real nuts and bolts production in theater. How crucial is that to get that formal education in, the, in that industry? Can you have opportunities without that? I would say yes. Drama school is a great, great thing. I loved it. I also understand it's not for everybody. The advantage of um, a drama school or any school, whether it's film school or drama school, is that you are surrounded by peers who are passionate about, about the same things you are, and you get critiques every week of projects. Oh, that's great. And, in, a, in a very safe space, right? Yes, yes. Oh, that's great. Uh, and uh, you are critiqued, and the value of um, getting a critique is that you find out all the things you did right and all the things you, that could be re improved from your peers in, in a intense three-hour class session where everyone puts up their work on the board and we go from person to person and look at your work. And at that point, you usually, um, you're assigned a play to design, mm -hmm. whether it's uh, a Shakespeare or a Greek tragedy or anything else. And once you come up with your sketches and your solutions for the sets or, or costumes for that particular play, it, it gets up, put up on the board, and all your peers and classmates and the professor, Ming Cho Lee, is uh, critiquing you. And you find out a lot about yourself and your approach to a project through these things because everything is verbalized. And that's the value of a formal classroom kind of uh, situation. Now, within these critiques, does it open another layer 
of thought in your mind where you go that you did not know existed where you are able to look at your your own work outside of yourself and see that critique or does ego kind of get in the way absolutely for me it opened up a lot of uh thought processes that you wouldn't normally get into by yourself late at night in your room uh it's all about conversations it's, it's and it's it's all about uh, uh looking at uh one's work and and voicing opinions about it how in a very constructive way and that i think that's very valuable again school is not Agreed. for everybody but the valuable thing about school is that every week like clockwork you're given the project and you're given a few days to research it and read the play and to come up with something every week and and it's 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 just volume of work even though it's classwork uh, it's very valuable in that it sounds like a really safe space uh, to hone your skills right and then and then you also have a mentor to kind of look out for you to engage with you and also kind of give you that constructive criticism to make you better right and then also I assume also the networking uh, part of it as well. Absolutely, without a doubt. Uh, and may I just add, uh, add on that the one of the, uh, I guess, uh, criteria criteria for acceptance is that everybody has to have drawing ability. I guess if we're if we're playing a game of like taboo or something, or what was that game where you have to write Pictionary? Right, you, you hangman. Need to be, hangman. <laughs> no, I, I could, I could, I could do hangman, a pictionary. I am, a, I'm, I, you know, right. that's a board game. You probably would not want me as a team. <laughs> Is there a, a sense of vulnerability you need to have when going into? Because a lot of artists, a lot of people that's going into this type of uh, industry, uh, yeah, there could be a lot of sensitivity around being. Uh, judged having their work something that they put their heart and soul into and someone critiquing it and saying perhaps this is better yes to that question uh there is a lot i mean whether you agree with it or not whether you like it or not whether you want to admit to it or not there is always a certain amount of ego in there because after all you're defending your idea right all right right um but at the same time you also have to understand and you get to learn that is that what we do in this particular venue, designing sets or, or being in the theater industry or the film industry, is that you're, you're doing something that people will see. And you need to get over that aspect of, okay, I, I need to present my point of view in, in a... Um, strong fashion and believe in myself at the same time you kind of have to realize people are going to see your work and they're going to have feelings about it which may not match your feelings and you have to come to terms with that and be able to um, verbalize your reasons and your thoughts and again that's another valuable thing about going to school you learn to be able to verbalize your feelings about your your work. Yeah, because I know so many people who are where that is just an impossible hurdle to overcome mm-hmm. their own ego. Mm-hmm. 
And for better or worse, it's it's. I know some people where their ego is their greatest strength. However, it's also their greatest weakness. Do you think to make it in that industry, in the entertainment industry, or just for self growth, that there's that it's essential to be able to listen to possible critiques on improvement? It's it's a complex issue because uh, in in the real world of show business. And it really is art and business. And they're two opposing... Oh my gosh, yeah. uh, ...ideas. Um, I think it's very important for every artist, whether you're a writer or a dancer or a designer or a painter, to believe in themselves because really, it really is your, your particular work that, from your point of view, that you're putting forth out there. At the same time, it is, again, I say, it's something you're turning out that hundreds, if not thousands, if not millions of people will see. And people who see your work are going to have an opinion. So I don't think there's any particular answer to the question, I think, in terms of whether you deal with your own ego or not. I think um, uh, the word ego is is a tricky word, isn't it? Isn't it? And and um, I think every film you make, every play you write, is about writing the next play or film because uh, you want people to respond to your work, so they will want to see your next work. Of course, what good is it if you? do one piece of work, and nobody sees anything else afterwards. Right. How should people manage the conflict of business and art? I, I think you have to come to terms with it yourself. Uh, and uh, go into the business... Let, let me reframe that. As an artist, mm. how do you maintain control? Because as an artist, I, I would presume most of the time they would lean more biased towards the art and stay true to that form. This field we're talking about... It's a collaborative field. When you work on a play or a, or a film, you're working with countless other people. If you are just, if you are a writer and you can just sit at home in front of your computer or typewriter and nobody else is around, you can write whatever you want. That's not the same as trying to fit in with a collaborative field and trying to make an end product out of that. I think because it's such a collaborative field and you need other people to carry out your ideas. You have to be flexible about that. And you can't fight every battle like the Battle of Waterloo. You have to know when to be affirmative about what you want. At the same time, understand that you're involved with in, 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 in an endeavor with many other people. So there's got to be somehow... Um, a give and take there, and nothing is ever so sacred that that has to be it, and nothing else would would do. Uh, because there, you have to be able to provide enough road out there for you to go on to the next project and do your next thing and all of that. So. It's different when you're designing on a film or, or a play because you're involved with so many people. 
including actors and, and, and producers and directors and people like that. I love what you just said there. I think, uh, I mean, so many things already just into this conversation. Uh, there's a lot of things that we may overestimate or underestimate. And w- until we're confronted with it, we're going to have to wrestle with the idea of this may not have been what we thought it would be because we do need to consider so many other factors. Going from there, how did you make that leap from from that and catching your big break where you're really on the lead for this set where you're in charge and your work is going to be seen? Yeah. Well, um, I went through three years of the drama school. I, I went to, um, after my first year, um, I did our equivalent of summer stock. What I did while at the drama school, I did everything I possibly could. I did every cabaret, every short play. You know, these are uh, uh, things you do outside the classroom. Um, so I knew I had a lot to learn because everybody else that was in my class had experience in theater prior to me. So because I knew I um, was probably lacking... You had some catching up to do. I had some catch up to do. So I did everything I could possibly do, no matter how small. So you lived, slept, ate, breathed this. Absolutely, yes. Ooh, and I'm, all and right. I'm, I'm curious also, like, did you feel like you also had a chip on your shoulder? Because you were coming from a different industry? No, I didn't feel I had a chip on my shoulder because uh, designing sets for theater... Uh, going into designing for film is not such a big stretch. There are many, many uh, designers who came from theater right into film because there is there are enough similarities compared to differences that you can make the transition. So it's not out of this world to think that someone in theater making that transition to film can hit the ground floor running. Absolutely not. And it's not just limited to somebody in my position as a designer. Directors have come from theater into film very successfully. So have actors. Uh, so have costume designers. So have producers. So, no, it's, it's actually something of a natural transition if you want that. What was that big break? Okay. Um, when I graduated, it was a three-year program. Uh, Ming Cho Lee asked me to, be, to assist him in some... Um, shows he was designing at the time. So oh, that's I huge. The, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so I, I um, uh, was his assistant for like a summer right after graduation. And um, that was a valuable experience and I was honored to be his assistant because uh, he was such a giant in the industry. Uh, as a matter of fact, the year I graduated, he, uh, Ming Cho Lee won his first Tony Award for a play called K2 on Broadway. Uh, I became his assistant for the summer, and then I got a call from, again, talk about networking, uh, another Yale designer who was working at uh, ABC Television designing sets for the news and sports. At that point, um, if you remember, um, there was an anchorman named Peter Jennings who was brought on um, as the... the, uh, the, the, the the face of ABC News. News, yeah. yeah. And yeah, he was uh, huge. Yeah, he was, he was huge. huge. And so we, the idea was to design a, a completely new set for Peter because uh, he needed one. So I, I was called in to help design the set. And at some point, the lead designer left. So I was tapped on to continue. And I ended up remaining at ABC Television for a number of years designing sets for News and Sports. And I worked on soap operas there. 
And from there, after a year or so, my professor Ming Cho Lee uh, recommended me for a film called A Great Wall uh, that was going to be shot in China. And I was uh, kind of surprised, but I jumped at it and I interviewed for it with the producer, a woman named Shirley Sun, and the director was a man named Peter Wong. And um, I, they took me on board as the production designer on the film. And that was my first break because um, it was like well, my first film as the designer. First feature film. The first feature film. And from there, um, uh, I was in Beijing for about six months uh, designing this film. And I came back and somehow I, I, I suppose it, it's, it's a very mysterious process to me even. Uh, because the film industry is a freelance business. Right. Um, so uh, I just put my name out there and I just got calls for uh, to, to work on different things like episodic TV. I worked on a film on, on a TV series called The Equalizer for a number of years as the art director. The difference between the art director and the production designer is this. The production designer is the head of the art department on, on a film crew. If you think of the production designer as the uh, captain of a ship, the art director would be the executive officer. That's the best way I can wow. uh, uh, describe it. You blew my mind because I didn't know. I thought the art director was above the production designer. Most people think that. Yeah. If next time you go to a film, look at the credits and you will see the production designer as in the credits uh, as the head of the department and mm. the art director art would be... Department. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like the right-hand man or the yeah. girl, woman. Well, the, the right-hand man would be the art director, the and the left-hand person would be the, the set decorator on a film. Mm-hmm. That's how the, the, the flow chart would work. Got right. it. Now, is it like a dance? when you're? I, I know with uh, director, actor, and um, the DP, the director of photographer, photography, it's, it's kind of like a dance to get it all right. And when it goes well, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. What kind of dance would a production designer do? Who and who does he dance with or her? Well, the production designer dances with almost everybody. The the, the production designer certainly um, is responsible f- for uh, serving the script. If there's a description of a certain location or a setting, then we do our best to make that a reality. And quite often, you work with the director of photography and the costume designer so that everything blends in in a seamless way. So often the director of photography would want certain lights in a certain uh, locale for whatever their reasons are. Uh, And if it's seen on camera, let's say it's a a desk lamp, it would be the art department's job to get that. Sometimes um, the actors would need a certain specific prop that is described in the script. And it would be the prop department, which is under the art department, their job to procure the correct prop. And if something needs to be made, again, that falls under us. Anything that is uh, physically, uh, that's physical, that an actor touches or walks into that is not um, uh, worn by an actor, or, or shot by the director of photography falls under the art department. And that's including like the set, the scene, um, 
the background that the actor is playing in as well. Yes. Well, yeah. Anything that you see that is physical, that's in the background, that the chair the actor sits in, um, uh, the room they're in, um, would be under our realm. Now, do you ever have to dance with celebrities? Not really. When it comes in because I know you work. You must work with tons of them in in that arena. Yeah, um, generally not really. Not, not as much as you you, you think. I mean, yeah, they. they I'm, I'm just interested. some because I could see some of them like, hey, can you do this and do that? And uh, I'll tell you something know. curious. Um, mo- most interaction between actors and uh, celebrities about things on a film probably falls under the costume designer realm because it's what they wear is very personal. The props that they use possibly is very personal. And I, I would get into discussions uh, with the actors. Um, in some case, they are celebrities uh, about some of the props they use. If they're comfortable using a particular thing for some reason, they have, they have special uh, requests for something to be a certain way. Uh, I would have conversations with actors. Uh, now, I have a personal question that I'm I just curious about now that we're on it. it is there some differences between an, uh, a regular actor who is unknown? And I understand this can vary by each individual, mm. but just generally speaking, is there a difference between th- that you see or observe over the years of an unknown actor on a small, working on a smaller set, smaller budget versus a celebrity actor? There are differences, but but it's not as much as you think. Um, most actors are very professional about things in general, and they 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 they, they know what they can ask for, and they know what their parameters are, and so forth. Uh, every once in a while, you hear stories about celebrity actors or big stars. Um, being very specific about things they want. Right, taking control and... Yeah, I I haven't really had that many experiences with what you're talking about, even though I've I've worked with many actors that are, I guess you would call them more Mm well-known. Most of them are very professional. uh, The ones who aren't, it's, it's not that really common. No, I'd rather hear would, it from the horses because yeah. you have first-hand experience. Yeah. Whereas I'll hear it from you know a few other people, rumors here and there. Yeah, I I feel like if if they're very particular, it would be because they're also acting in and they're also a director. You know, actor directors yes. they'd yeah. be very specific in, in terms of the things they have on set. Right. Um. Yeah. And don't forget, um, quite often they go through rehearsals with the director and they'll discover certain things that they may need an ashtray there because they're smoking or. Something along those lines. And again, it is all under the whole realm of working the scene out in rehearsals with the director. And and we, we just roll with it. Uh, uh, it has never really been a problem. Do you feel any added pressure working in, in, in a set like that? Sometimes. And just basically what it means is I have to pay more attention. Uh, and and it all depends on the personality of the director, the actors. I mean, so much of what we see in the way people act is so dependent on their own particular personalities. Mm-hmm. All right, how they manage the set and then the culture of it. Yes. Right, and you're kind of, like you said, it's a freelance job, so at times you may not even know what you're walking into. Right. Right, you're just kind of like, oh, man, I heard rumors about this person. I hope... 
I hope it's uh, some of it's true or I hope some of it's not true. Mm-hmm. Now, going into that, how did you get from there uh, being a voting member of the Academy? Well, a couple of things happened in the past five, six, seven years. Um, we've all, I think we've heard of the, that whole um, controversy a few years ago about the Oscars being so white and so forth. Oh, yeah, Oscar so white, hashtag. Uh, since then, the Academy uh, has made a concerted effort to bring more people of color in. Uh, and it was probably because of that that uh, I was, it, it opened that up you were, to me. That, yeah. that opportunity became available. So you, you do agree that at that point, in time prior to the hashtag Oscar so white, was it so white? I think so. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. so much of what we see is the impression we get of life, and that's the impression I certainly got. Now, so that's how you got in, and and what is that like? Since are you able to give a lot of uh, your ideas and contribute? Or well, um, again, that's a very interesting uh, interesting thing to think about. Um, I did not have any illusions about becoming a member and then shaking up the industry. <laughs> uh, I, I think um, the valuable thing that I got out of it is that I have a small seat at this big table. And I have one vote for the yearly Academy Awards in, in its various categories. And my vote is the same as other people's. So that's the value of that. Uh, I have an equal vote. And how many, how many seats, I guess, uh, are in the Academy Awards for voting? The voting uh, uh, The membership, committee? from what I uh, understand, uh, worldwide, is about 10,000 people. Hmm. That sounds like a lot of people, but there are in the uh, annual Academy Awards, there are 23 categories. So if you just do the math and... You, Take 10,000 people, divide by 23, it will be several hundred people in each category. And certain categories will have a lot more people. Will than, be denser, I guess. Yeah, so, yeah. so that's kind of how it works. Um, that makes sense. Uh, yeah. so, so because you're in that, um, in that field of production design, are you only allowed to vote for that category? Or you're allowed to, for, to vote for best picture, best director? Okay, I've always wondered how the voting process worked prior yeah. to becoming a member. Because we all watched yeah. Oscar night and yeah. we all see the results and they always say, and the Academy, blah, blah, blah. Says, I always wonder what the process is like. So here's what it is like. Um, every year, if you can imagine, there will be dozens, if not hundreds of submissions of films from around the world in various categories for whatever the reasons are. And so in the first round of voting, which starts uh, months before the Academy Awards, and let's say, for example, um, uh, well, okay. In the first round of voting, um, I am only allowed to vote in my own branch, which is the production design branch. Costume designers can only vote in that branch. Producers can only vote in that branch. Directors and, and scriptwriters, screenwriters, and so forth can only vote in their that particular branch. Uh, but we are also allowed to vote for everyone is allowed to vote for best picture, and we are also given the choice to vote for best 
foreign film when that category was still called that. Uh, we're also uh, allowed to vote for best animated feature um, and best shorts subject film, best documentary uh, beyond our that's beyond our branch. Wow, those are major categories. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I, I feel very excited about that because mm. yes, they're yeah. major categories. And so, if you elect to, if you want to vote for, let's say, best animated feature, you're supposed to view all the submissions, which um, can be quite few. time-consuming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's exciting. You get to watch but, all these amazing yes, films. Yes, and if you if you love cinema and you like watching the movies, like many of us do. Mm-hmm. Here's especially if they're nominated. I mean, because you, you then you know you're looking at the best, the a, best, the collection yeah. of the best right. of the best. Yeah. yeah, and that's how it works. People uh, would kill for that. I would. Yeah, uh, I want to take it. You would kill for I that. I want to take yeah. it to the show. Um, but again, the, the the way it works after that that first round where everybody votes for their own particular branch and best picture and and, and uh, if you want to vote for let's say best animated feature, you have to watch those films because it would be absurd to vote for something you haven't seen right do you forfeit your vote if you don't uh no you don't um the way it works uh, as you get on to the later stages of voting where it seems like all the choices are weeded down every week you're, you're given a certain number of days to vote and it goes on mm. to the next stage and then they'll say, okay, now that the production design category is weeded down to the last 30 films, then get, that gets weeded down some more. And what I discovered that I didn't know about was that at, in, in the last week of voting prior to the Academy Awards, everybody is then allowed to vote for everything. Because at that point, the categories are weeded down to Best Picture, which is eight films. Mm-hmm. And every film in different categories, whether it's best makeup, best design, best uh, scre- uh, screenplay, is weeded down to five films already at that point. Wow. And this is the last week of voting, and every, every member is then allowed to vote on everything. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't seen any particular picture, you can vote to abstain from voting for that picture. And, and and the voting somehow is 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 the, is arranged in a, a, a weighted uh, concept where you're given if if the choices is, is eight choices for best picture, you vote. You 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 rank the pictures. In other words, mm. there I is see. Uh, like a first place, second yes, place, yeah, rank yeah. voting right. system. And I, it was fascinating because I I think somehow uh, they developed the system over the years where. Um, all the pictures somehow get people to vote. It's important to get the people to vote. And, and, and there's a big campaign to remind people to vote because you can always uh, only get a true picture of what the quality of the films are when everybody votes. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. And so, so what they do, they, they take the sum of the rankings and whichever ranks, I guess, scores higher, that is how they produce the winner. I could imagine so, because right. I imagine, again, uh, with any mass thing that you throw out to people, there will be some people who d- didn't see most of the films. There will be some people who seen all the films. Or there may be some internal bias. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. And, and I discovered personally that um, 
he's, uh, I would have certain reasons for voting on certain things, and it's it it, it it's not necessarily because I think it's the best thing out there. Although I will say, by the time all the films get weeded down to the last eight films for Best Picture and the last five films in every category, they're all pretty good films, mm-hmm. I have to say. Mm-hmm. The solid films, great acting, uh, film craft-wise, top of the list. Uh, when you get weeded down to the last week, they're all good. So what makes a film great? Exceptional. Like it stands out from everything else. What the, what elements does it need to have? Uh, that's a hard question to answer. It's it's almost like for you personally. Everyone's going to have a different answer. <laughs> yeah. I understand that, but yeah. What's the I, I think your opinion carries so much more weight due to your experience in the field. I I think you view each film um, on its own merits uh, and how it affects you emotionally. Uh, you look at the craft involved in putting this film together. Uh, I'll have to certainly say that uh, I'm not an expert on every category of craft. I, you know, I don't know a ton about makeup right. or hair. Um, but you have to view the film as a, in an entirety, uh, as a whole, and how it affects you, whether it's emotionally or whether uh, you admire the amount of craft that is put in that particular branch uh, mm-hmm. or, or particular thing, whether it's editing or cinematography. And you hit it right there. Sometimes I'll just love the direct, like the photography of the film mm-hmm. and I'll, and it'll distract me from the story or that's when I started getting into film with Norm or I'll look into someone's acting and be in complete awe of, wow, how they just totally nailed it throughout the entire film or the director or even the editor well, the score itself, and at times that'll cause me to watch the film twice or mm-hmm. three times. But I'll be if it'll feel like almost three different movies because I'm I'm paying attention to different things within that single film. To me, I think that what artistically that's what makes a film exceptional mm-hmm. when it makes me want to watch it over and over again, but for different reasons. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I find exceptional films. By the re- replay or the rewatch value, like if I can actually watch it again, mm-hmm. going through the whole movie for two hours, sitting down for two hours again just to watch the same film, then it's a pretty exceptional film to me. Yeah, I approach it a little differently. Uh, I, I totally get it. I understand that if you watch a film and you're interested in um, costumes and it just knocks you over and you love it so much. And that you want to see it again. Mm-hmm. For me, uh, first of all, um, logistically, there are so many films out there. I I never have time to watch everything I want to watch. So if I watch something, I even if I love it, I tend to want to move on to watch something else I haven't seen yet. That's just me. Uh, also, I don't believe films are meant to be seen over and over again. I mean, hmm. you could find your own reasons if you really love the costume design. That's a, a, a legitimate reason. For, for for most people out there watching movies or cinema, I, I don't think films are meant to be seen over and over again or, or you need cliff notes to understand what's going on. I, I just don't think 
that works. Mm-hmm. It should work that way. That's fascinating. Why yeah, is, is that? Why is that? Why why aren't films to you not meant to watch over and over? Because there's Star Wars fans that I sure would disagree, or Marvel fans. Right? Sure, and, and it's okay. You, yeah. you mean it's okay to watch a film over and over again if that's what you want. I'm just yeah. saying, for me personally, um, a film is like looking at a great painting. You look at it, you appreciate it, and you move on to the next great painting. I kind of I kind of understand where you're coming from because. When you watch something for the first time, a movie, and it hits you with a certain feeling, is, are you going to get that feeling again? Right? When I first watched Endgame, Avengers, that feeling of, oh my God, that laughter, the, 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 the tears coming down my eyes when, when Spider-Man came back. <laughs> I mean, you, know, you only get those emotions at the first watch, right? That, uh, and then, I, I don't know. Like, I, like, for example, I know people that watch, and I'm not saying it myself, but I know people that watch Titanic oh. and get that feeling every time Leo goes down the door. Oh, no. Where, he, where, where she, Rose lets go. I mean, they get, they get that feeling. Mm. I, know, I know several people, uh, right. you know, just for example, where they get the same feeling when they watch something. Yeah. I understand what you mean, but you can only make a first impression once. I totally get that. But there are people that I know that get that same feeling watching the film. Like, for example, if I saw... Uh, I don't know, Goodfellas, right? And fantastic film. And then let's just say I go through six or seven years without seeing it and I watch it again. Number mm-hmm. one, it'll get nostalgic. And number two, perhaps seven years later, I'm at a different stage in my life and I rewatch it. I, it'll feel like the first time again, but in a different way because I'm at a different stage in my mm-hmm. life. A different first impression. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Years, yeah. You do have a different first impression. Yeah. Well, that's great. Yeah. That's the beauty of um, DVDs and and VHS tapes so you can yeah. watch films over and over again yeah. um, the, the whole um, cinema experience has evolved and changed absolutely uh, I agree so, with you there again this is me personally I just feel I don't have enough time to watch all the films I want why would I feel the need to watch a film over and over again mm-hmm. Uh, and I get it. I mean, there, 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 there are films that are so great. There are films that are, that the acting is so great. You want to see that again. And that's the beauty. You can if you want. Here's the thing. I, there's not many movies that would strike me where I would want to revisit it. Mm-hmm. I would have actually dare to say that's quite rare for me to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, when that does come around, or if I have a very close friend who who has not seen that movie yet, then I would like to introduce them to it and I would be there to accompany them with mm-hmm. the watch. So that's that's all right. But if I am, I agree with you there, where if I am by myself, I would rather watch something I haven't seen yet. Mm-hmm. So I, instead of re-watching something, I think that's... But it's rare that a movie would want to make me actually do that. That's why I would say exceptional movies. Right, I mean, people read books over again that they love. But again, it's not common... Right. Um, people, I don't know of anybody who who go to a theater experience, whether it's a, a musical or a or a play, more than once, unless they unless absolutely it, love. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and which is okay. Well, that's because the barrier of entry is greater, though. Well, yeah, definitely. Right. I mean, no, no matter how much you like to eat a certain dish, uh, you I, do get sick of it. Yeah, yeah. you do. Uh, right. That's very true. You do need to switch it up sometimes. Oh yeah. I can't eat Chinese food every, you know, every single day. Yeah, it's just, my point is, there's so much out there. 
whether it's a feature film, a documentary, or animation, I, I could certainly consider animation another form of motion pictures, of course. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Especially with the capabilities and the technology that they're able to bring it to these days. It's, it's just absolutely incredible. I, I, I get really excited at these animations that's coming out. It's, it's fantastic. And a lot of them is great because, I mean, look at the recent one that came out, Soul. I, I thought that was fantastic. Yes, Did it you certainly was, yes. Oh, yeah. man, just uh, from, from just the way it was done, that the, the voice acting, the, the, the art. The music. The music. Yeah. And, uh, and just the meaning behind it. Well, that's the uh, fascinating lure, I think, of motion pictures to many people. It, it, it really has to tap on so many uh, things that pertain to art, that pertain to technology, that pertain to science. Somehow it all works together to give us, I suppose, 20th century's uh, most fascinating form of art is motion pictures. Now, out of all the film projects you were a part of, is there one that particularly stands out to you that that you just had an incredible time? Well, my last or film... Or just extremely proud of? Well, um, there are many, uh, more than a few that I'm proud of, but the one that comes to mind is what my most recent one, which is The Paper Tigers. Uh, I was extremely proud of that uh, for many reasons. Uh, first of all, I had a dream one day years ago of somehow this is after I've been in the, in the industry for a, a few years I, I my dream was how can we get into producing our own films as Asian Americans mm. I would love that was one of my one of my dreams is to work on an Asian American film with other Asian Americans uh, uh, on an Asian American story helmed by an Asian American director with Asian American actors in front of the camera and an Asian American crew behind the camera. That was my dream because I can see that out of all the disparate uh, people I meet over the years and you know, the Asian people over the years running into them on film sets, why can't we one day come together? Come together. Yeah. And that was my dream. And, and do something, yeah. And, and the Paper Tigers. Uh, was my dream come true? Uh, it was great. It, it, it was written by an Asian American about Asian Americans. Awesome! And, awesome! Yeah, uh, and, and love it. And it was uh, funded uh, through community Kickstarter type uh, mm -hmm. means, uh, and even the story behind it. Uh, when the director first wrote the script years ago and shopped around Hollywood, the response was very positive. Oh, we love the story. We love the script. We will give you X number of dollars for this film. Is there a but coming? There is a but coming. There's, a, there's a big caveat. Every time with mm. Asians, yeah. Asian Americans, there's always a caveat. And the caveat is, but we want to make some of, a couple of the, at least one of the lead Asian ca characters white. Oh. And to surprise, surprise, and to his credit, um, Bao, Bao Tran and his producers said thanks, but no thanks. Hey, shout out to you, Bao Tran, and, your, and the producers on that paper uh, tiger. And, yeah. and we're gonna, shout out paper tiger because they realize how much they're giving away if they give the give the whole you know boat away that way, and they'll it'll, it'll be it won't be their film anymore. It won't be that same story, right? 
uh, it'll be some so whitewashed. Right, and version. that goes back to what we were talking about earlier in our conversation. Was was when you, um, how do you manage the line between business and art? Right? Well, um, one thing that decides it for you is that you're making a living too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you're being paid to do something, you want to do something you love, uh, and that doing something you love, being involved in one area of the craft of filmmaking that you love doesn't mean that it has to involve Asians. So I can navigate that difference. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in this sense, it it did mean to to staying true to the art by not allowing uh, for them to rewrite the story by putting a white hero Mm -hmm. in the mix where it really just didn't belong in that sense. I mean, there's white heroes in every story and, and that's okay. Right. But in this sense, to, to just add one just for the sake of adding one, it, it's kind of ridiculous. Sure. We all thought so. Um, right. I, I think it's um, finding that balance in life that works for you between art and biz- commerce. Um, art will rarely pay your rent. But com- the commerce part, my salary in working in mm-hmm. other uh, venues uh, in the same area mm-hmm. has paid my rent right. fine. So how was the studios able to digest that information when they refused to I guess, rewrite the script or uh, the character? Um, I don't think it was that difficult. Um, our um, director, screenwriters and producers basically in their own way said thanks but no thanks. And so I don't think the studios Did- had any choice. <laughs> So they went with it anyway. They said, okay, yeah. we, we, we'll still support the project. No, the studios did not support the project. Because was, of that. Yeah. I yeah. mean, they, they shopped it around saying, okay, uh, we have this film. We'd like to get it financed. We'd like to get it made. Anybody interested? And that they were interested with mm-hmm. that caveat. And then there was, okay, I don't think that's going to work for us. You walk away. So they brought it to the people. They, they crowdfunded it. So the studio liked it. They just didn't like it for Asian Americans. I don't know what. That's what it sounds like. Process. Yeah, I, it's I, like, hey, great script. No, I mean, from a from a business standpoint, put a chad, put a couple of chads in there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but from yeah, a, I love the script, but you know, add add a few chads. But but from a, from know. a business standpoint, I'm I'm just thinking from their standpoint, um, they're looking at the script and they probably want to bring in a, a, a known actor, so that's why they would say like, oh, let's can you put in a white actor. Because you can probably attach someone who's a A-lister but or a celebrity. Had, that's a tired excuse. Because at, at this point, yeah. there's just countless examples where that just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And when you ruin the integrity of the film, it, it's just it's actually an embarrassment to everyone involved. Too. Oh, yeah. And a lot of the times, the directors look like jackasses. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they kind of put in a situation where they're like, ah. Oh, you know, between, again, art and business, mm-hmm. right? And, and, you know, a lot of times when you try to stay true to art, you may not get a chance to eat. Right, so I do have to kind of just figure it. It's a it's a tough way to navigate, but in this sense, it sounds like it worked out because now you got community involvement. You're in a year 2021 where there's other forms to uh, of crowdfunding you can use rather than just a studio, and that's getting old. Yeah, and it's amazing that it was crowdfunded. It's a feature film, right? So, how much was the budget? What was raised? Uh, I think the uh, we ended up uh, with the budget. Of course, I never. I'm, I'm privy to the details of budget from because of what I do, but uh, 
uh, I think the film was uh, budgeted. Fine, the final amount of money we had was about one point two five, one point three million. Wow, for a feature film. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you, uh, the community came out uh, in full support. Uh, we shot the whole thing in Seattle. Uh, it's a kung fu movie, and being that Seattle was the home for Bruce Lee for years and so mm-hmm. forth, wow, it was very poignant for me, and it was, I really was excited by that concept, and and everybody was excited. It was totally be, uh, behind the film. Uh, we. Uh, the, the the neighborhood the restaurants would, would would cater for us, and uh, um, the producers and director called on all their favors from all their friends. We got locations, we got, oh, and that really helped a lot. It, How it, many jobs did that create in that community for Asian Americans, especially that may not have access to uh, the entertainment world? Yeah, I, I I don't know how many jobs created, but certainly, um, I and I hope you guys see the film is out. It opens this week. May seventh, theatrically. Is it a wide release or? It's a nationwide release. Wow! In New York, it's being released uh, theatrically at the Village Cinema. Cinema. East. Okay. Uh, and and if you look at, I hope you guys stay for the end credits. If you look at the credit, and you will see countless names, and they're all from the community. Uh, I don't know if they got, if everybody got compensated monetarily for it. I have a feeling many people didn't. It was just through their goodwill and their excitement about finally uh, supporting a film like this in the Seattle community about martial arts in the home of Bruce Lee. Yeah, can you give us a little bit? Uh, I mean, since we're talking about Paper Tigers here and it releasing uh, just for people who have no idea what that is, can you kind of just give us a summary? Yeah, the, the, the summary is uh, a simple one. Um, it's about... Uh, the Paper Tigers is about three kung fu prodigies. It starts up with them as children under this sifu. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love kung fu movies, by the way. I'm such a nerd for it. Okay, yeah. then you have one you're going to go see. <laughs> uh, and basically, it starts up with um, these three pro- kung fu prodigies when they were um, children. And their sifu is mysteriously murdered or mysteriously dies at some point. And these three young prodigies have drifted apart in the space of 25, 30 years. Ooh. Uh, and they are, have become middle-aged men with middle-aged responsibilities and problems. And they have not done their kung fu for a long time. And upon the news of the death of their Sifu, uh, they got together to find out what who, happened. What happened? To who investigate did it. further. And so that's the, the the drift of the entire plot, which is very simple. But there are many layers to this. It's about friendship. It's about uh, past glory days and what happens thirty years later when all of us at some point will become middle aged and past your prime. What what how do you view yourself? How do you view each other? How does the world view you? And how do you uh, rise up to the challenges of this um, detective story of finding out who killed your Sifu 30 years after you're, you're your prime? And that's what I pay attention to when I'm watching a film like this. Is like I'm, always watch, I'm always looking at the subtext. 
mm-hmm. and trying to see what I can learn from it and, and, and extrapolate from. Like, there's so much you can apply to your own life. Right. Well, that's the thing about um, stories on film. There's the obvious plot line that the film hangs on, mm-hmm. but but within that story, there are many layers, and one of the, the layers of the paper tires is about friendship, about aging, mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. being a prodigy, about being a star at one time in your life, and then having and then like, losing that identity, lo- losing oh. that. And oh uh, there's there's a line from the film where the sifu is teaching his students that kung fu without honor is just fighting. Hey, mm. uh, so deep. there are there there are ideas in the film. Now, I think that's. What I feel made like it I successful. think I saw this trailer. Everything you're saying, like I feel like it's like three dudes. One black guy, yeah. uh, two yeah, Asians. Yeah, Ron, I, I saw this Ron trailer. Ron Yoon is in it, I think. Who? Ron? Ron yes, Yoon? Ron's in it. Yes. Okay. And, and yeah, Ron, Ron is great. I mean, all, all Yeah, the, he's in a bunch of films. Yeah, the he cast is great. Yeah. The, the cast has been great. I bet. Yeah. 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 Oh, man, I'm looking forward to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. I, yeah. I could see why that would be one of your proudest achievements. Yeah, and, and I had such a great time in the film. We were working with an Asian crew and an Asian director. On so you didn't have to explain anything about being Asian. You just no, and 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 it was like such a different atmosphere. Uh, and I, I and I met so many great talented uh, people from the Seattle film community. Uh, it was just. Did it feel like a family? Yes, it did. Yeah. yeah. Did you have dim sum together? Uh, actually, <laughs> before, before the, the cameras uh, roll. Uh, we were so busy that that the, quite often um, the art department is on a different schedule than the film, than the actual production uh, team. Because mm-hmm. uh, I'm usually prepping the next several pre-production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're, while they're filming. So I rarely get to see these guys. And by the time they're finished filming, they're also, they're also tired. They just want to go home and sleep. But, but we had a great time. Mm-hmm. You know, I met tons of great people. I would love to work with uh, again together. And how long were you out there in Seattle? Uh, I was there for about two months. Yeah, wow. uh, they they rent, went right into production practically two weeks after I got out there. We just uh, scouted all the locations. Uh, the director went to LA for casting, so I was in charge of uh, kind of deciding on some locations along with the first AD, and mm. that was kind of hairy because uh, mm-hmm. I you you never scout locations without the director. Or the director of photography. Yeah, you know, I'm not used to that, but we made it work. Wow! So the director is able to trust in his team. Yes. Right? Yes. That's fantastic. Uh, and so much of filmmaking is you have to be flexible and dealing with things as they come up. Oh yeah, I know that. It's uh, you you have to. I mean, a lot of it's spontaneous, and mm. sometimes again, it goes to this industry is where you think it's going to go a certain direction and you're throwing a curveball and you're going, all right, I have to adjust a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. See how this starts. But, and, and sometimes, sometimes because of that, it actually made things work out better. Yeah, I discovered that uh, so many things that we do, uh, if, I, I've worked on uh, episodic TV where everything is planned out and you got on an eight-day shooting schedule, no matter what, you have to finish everything in eight days. And... Um, you can plan things out, and your goal on the film, of course, is to plan as many things out as possible because uh, what costs a lot of money on any film project is chaos. So you want to control the controllables. <laughs> yeah. 
So yes. that's that's certainly it. Yeah. I, I get it. Yeah, you you certainly want to control the controllables because if you don't, it's going to cost. Oh yeah, <laughs> and the most valuable mistakes thing, are costly. The most valuable <laughs> thing and the the costliest thing on the film is time. Mm-hmm. You know, you you can buy anything almost. You could buy more more wood, more paint, more film stock, but you can't buy more time. And since we're on that line of subtext, doesn't that apply to life? Yes, more or less. There's a lot of parallels to that. And time is always running out as we speak right here. Right. (laughs) So we all try to spend it the best we can. Absolutely. Yes. Definitely. Um, So that said, let's let's move into a little bit of your personal story. Uh, We were talking earlier about where you're from. You were born in Macau. Yes. You came to New York City, LES, Lower East Side. Yes. Chinatown? Chinatown. When you were three years old, what yeah. was that like? And that was like, what is that? What which era was this? Uh, this was like um, uh, in the fifties. Fifties. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. you so you Be- got here in the fifties as yeah. a teenager? No, no, no. I was three. I, I was three. three. Oh, do you three? Yeah. yeah. There wasn't a lot of Chinese around in the Lower East Side back then. Then <laughs> what so, was it? Irish. So a lot of Italians, Italians. Jewish. Uh, I I lived in the Auschwitz projects. Uh, um, a lot of blacks, Puerto Ricans. Okay. Uh, it depends. Oh, like it is now. Yeah. Like it is now. I grew up. Around. Oh, you grew up in the Smith Project. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, the Lower East Side is like a patchwork quilt of oh, all yeah. kinds. And you, you walk yeah. two blocks, you're in an Italian neighborhood. You walk two two other blocks, you're in the Jewish neighborhood. Yeah. And that was what it was like, and it still is it still more is or less like day. that. Mm-hmm. And that was what's great about the Lower East Side in Chinatown. Uh, it's this uh, uh, you know, quilt of uh, patchwork quilt of 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 all these different disparate uh, uh, cultures and nationalities. And that was uh, uh, so invaluable growing up. Um, I mean, there were growing pains, certainly. But looking back on it, it shaped who I was. It shaped who I am. And uh, I think uh, I'm I'm somehow more complete person because of it somehow. I don't know. Uh, I feel the same way. uh, I feel the same way. I think... Growing up in this area uh, just gives you a, 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 just there's something in the air here. I don't know what it is, but it's the just, grit, <laughs> New York it, grit. <laughs> it really is. It's a different flavor because everywhere else that I lived in my life, it just didn't compare. I mean, you mm-hmm. do grow up a lot faster here. So if you are a parent and you kind of want to raise your kids in a more slower pace and get to enjoy their youth a little bit more, I wouldn't suggest it. But if you wanted to grow up fast, I mean, this is the place that you grow up very fast here. Sure, sure. It's nothing like the Lower East Side, New York. Uh, and, and being Chinatown here, if you're Asian or Chinese, all my friends are here. Uh, and that's how I grew up. Uh, and, and it was a, quite a tumultuous period of time back in the late 60s and, and throughout the entire 70s with all the uh, things that were uh, going on socially and culturally, what was going on back then? Well, was this similar to now? Um, or there are different? similarities um, but, and differences, but certainly the similarities are that um, the, the the civil rights era, which uh, really kind of like went took forth and went uh, forward, um, was back in the '60s, I think, with the Voting Rights Act and the. Uh, all of that um, uh, shaped the country, um, and there was a lot of uh, things that went on that people had to fight for, and and being a very small minority of Chinese here, in, even in Chinatown back then, 
Uh, it was a very insular insular community. Uh, there was the whole vo- um, civil rights issues. There was the Vietnam War, um, and there were was the big influx of uh, immigrants from China that came after the immigration quotas were lifted back in, I believe, 1965. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it changed the, the scope and the, uh, the texture of Chinatown. Suddenly you have all these immigrants that didn't speak English. And uh, like many immigrant groups that would come over as the first wave, they had a hard time. Um, a lot of gangs formed for, for many reasons, uh, protection, um, I think, uh, to make money, to, 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 to survive really, yeah. uh, survive. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Protection, At times, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, because they're, I mean, if you're an immigrant and you, you don't speak the local language, uh, you need to find forms of survival. And if you're very low on the, on your skill set and networking, you're kind of, automatically placed in these silos and it's very challenging to break out of it at times mm. um yeah i mean yeah. I, I guess you could speak more to that i mean you 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 band together in gangs for protection and to and, and unfortunately uh because of the nature of these things you end up preying on your own people uh extorting and the 70s was a uh, there was a lot of shootings uh there were rival gangs uh, that were you know, fighting each other. It, it was a pretty uh, tumultuous time to be growing up in as a teenager in Chinatown. Was there animosity between the Chinese that were already here and versus the, the immigrants that uh, Yuli came? Absolutely. Uh, uh, I mean, the ones that are already here have done their best to assimilate. Uh, they spoke English. They dressed. They dressed. Uh, similar to Western. Yeah. Uh, the immigrants, of course, were f- foreigners. Still, I mean, you, you were the same race, but one group was still considered these strange, un-American foreigners. You're saying like the, the ones that were here, properly assimilated, felt perhaps the immigrants coming here set them a couple of steps back. Yeah, I don't know if it's that specific. Because I know a few, I know yeah. a few modern day right. Asians, and we had one uh, Kenny on a podcast, and he he had that's his theory as well, where um, immigrants come here and they kind of uh, you know they don't follow follow the social norms, and because of that, Americans who aren't Asians will look at them like they're completely opposite of what we do. And it'll set, and, and they'll look at every Asian person in the same bucket. You know, they, they, a lot of them times, I don't know if it's lazy thinking or just perhaps they don't know any Asians, they'll, they won't be able to differentiate the two. They'll just look at it like the exact same thing. Yeah, that's the unfortunate thing about race. Uh, you, you, you look at somebody's skin color first and, 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 and somehow their culture and, and whether they even speak the language. And uh, this um, current state of uh, affairs uh, with this anti-Asian hate uh, for many reasons has never gone away. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll ask this question 
in a different way. How many Chinese or Asians out there have never experienced racial dis- uh, discrimination? Raise your hand. I doubt if anybody will raise it. It's never, yeah. Yeah. And that just shows you how chronic it is. And that's what scares me. Our youth coming into this world, our children, our grandkids, having faced what we know, that path that's carved out, they're right behind us about to follow these footsteps. It draws concern for me and also motivates me to create a, a space where they don't have to grow up with that anymore. I agree with you. Um, I think somehow um, we're all very tribal at heart because it's just a, a natural uh, human nature response. Uh, we, we want to be with people we feel comfortable with. We want to be with, uh, to get, uh, with people that we eat the same food. I mean, it's, it's a natural thing. But at the same time, I think culture and uh, race and society is always evolving and mm. this country is a very special country um, it started from Im- immigration right uh, America is an experiment and yeah. it's a continuing experiment right and sometimes uh, the experiment fails and sometimes it succeeds and we're trying to make it succeed but we always have to evolve and change uh, our tactics to conform to what's going on um, in the world, because we're always, again, it's all perception. We're all perceived as a certain way, and that affects how we're treated. When, when we look at it so close up, it may look terrible, but when we zoom out and just look at the entire picture, the arc of justice always seems to bend towards the right way. I agree with that. And there's something else I want to add to it. It's not just what you read in newspapers. I think um, I go back to what I'm saying about perception. I think we can help with art. By art, I mean... Totally agree. I mean, cinema, literature, Mm. music. That has evolved in the past couple of, several decades into something good and positive because I think again perception if we accept a story uh, that we see in the movies because we all go to the movies that helps break down barriers I think uh, so many of the themes uh, that are in whether it's literature or movies point out that that they're they're reflections of what we are and I think um, if you think about it uh, and what you're saying about the arc of uh, justice always bends towards a certain way, I think that when we put it out there in an honest, truthful form, I think people will see that we have more similarities than we have differences. Oh, yeah, that's, Absolutely you true. know, it's, uh, I mean, I say that all the time. And I, I cannot agree with you more. And I think people that lived enough life to, or, or have been around so many different cultures and ethnicities can agree and, and, and look at it like, what are we fighting over? This is so stupid. Yeah. We are so much more alike than we are different. It's crazy. Like when I go, my, my fiance is Dominican. So when I go visit her family in the Bronx, we're just laughing, having a good time, eating food, you know, having conversation. And it's there's no animosity because 
to me, for me, it's me learning about their culture, and for them to actually speak to someone who's from a Chinese background and learning about me and my background.、Mm-hmm. So it's more about information sharing.、It's, if you get to know people from different, like you said, tribes,、um, and I feel like there, there's certain, like there's tribes、um, that are categorized by race, and there's tribes categorized by、uh, similar thought processes, right, or similar beliefs. So as long as you have conversation. And open conversation, and no animosity, and then be open about having a communication with each other and sharing. There wouldn't be so much hate. I think you've hit the nail on the head.、Um, from what you're saying, I think one of the roots of racism is ignorance.、Mm. The more we know, the more we know about each other. We're not. I'm not even suggesting that we all live together and do a kumbaya. We're, we're all best friends, you know. That that's that's unnatural too. We're all human beings. We all have our favorites. We all have our own comfort level,、um, but we and we all have our particular levels of ignorance. And I think if you erase the ignorance, I think things will be a lot easier and more people will get along. And it is really because of ignorance that people are afraid. You're afraid of things that. You feel you don't know that much about. They're creating something to defend where there's nothing to defend. Right. You're either afraid of it or you want to destroy it. Some form of hate grows and you just become intolerant. Yeah. And then you, it's a very dangerous place to be because hate feeds on hate,、mm-hmm. and it'll just create a vicious cycle that kind of just goes in a. And I see that happening now,、um, and this is just so、um, evident、uh, in. What's going on right now? Did you see that in the gangs back in back in the day here, where they're preying on their own people, and there was a lot of、um, use of fear as a form of、uh, power? Yeah, it's it, it's it's easy to prey on your own people, you know,、um, because it's something you understand. Yeah, and you know its weaknesses. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So is that what they did a lot? The the, the gangs, I guess, of old, is that they preyed. On the weaknesses of their own people and exploited that.、Uh, I believe that was one big aspect.、Uh, yeah, the, the, there was extortion and and all of that. And you're not, they're not going to go out to, you know, Bath,、uh, Long Island and extort places like that. They extort places that are vulnerable. And and、uh, you know, it's funny.、Um, the people who、um, exploit or exploited. In general, are, are so often are are, are your own kind.、Uh, I hate to say that it's your own people. Yeah, and it's it's a very complex and 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 difficult and confusing thing to navigate around、uh, back then.、Uh, and I think things have gotten better. Well, they're definitely much better. Yeah, and I think it's just human、yeah. nature. You know, you're you're you know, you have the the haves. And the have-nots that came over here back then, and、uh, the have-nots.、Uh, I mean, our parents gave up everything for、oh, us, everything.、Yeah. Uh, and I just think、um, uh, our mindset has to be different now. You know. You know what's sad is that I know people. Their parents gave up everything. And still, it wasn't enough. Again, you're you're talking about the they、uh, still blame the, the parents the bad side of human nature for not giving them enough. Yeah, nobody's going to blame 
myself. I'm not going to blame myself. I have to blame somebody else for my ill fortune. You know, it, it just drives me crazy. I, I got in a, a, a bit of a debate with uh, someone very, very close to me and dear to me. Mm. And he was telling me about how his parents, the reason I couldn't get into this school or get into that program because my parents couldn't afford and do this. And, oh, I would have been here in life if my parents did that. I'm like, do you understand your parents came here with nothing but the shirt on their backs? Right. And, and the way they worked. And I'm very close with this person, so I know their parents. Like, do you know your, your mom and dad did this? And your mom, and I'm like, why are we even having this conversation at this age? And you're looking back at your life. You know, it, it's, it's either that or, I mean, would you, do, would you work like that for, you, for your kids right now? I bet you wouldn't. Right. You know, I, it's just, it takes a special power within, of love and, and drive and, and survival to that instinct it's really special and i've seen it and that's why when people especially when people say asians are weak it drives me absolutely bonkers because it takes so much strength to do what our parents did to basically sacrifice their well-being their life and struggled so the next generation next generation can thrive well if you look at the history of china it's all about the long view mm-hmm. i mean you talk about patience and 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 all of that you know it's not about uh instant gratification i think our our parents you're absolutely right yeah yeah they 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 always looking at they're always looking at the long game mm-hmm. the end of the story mm-hmm. and, and and then they start carving out a path uh to make sure that that happens right and and, and they get all this satisfaction out of your success yeah and that that to me it just it really breaks my heart because I know how much they sacrifice, and not just my parents, but there's so many other immigrants' families beyond Asians that make these intense sacrifices in order to survive. Like these super power, unreal sacrifices. I mean, I am talking about working from day to night, raising several kids and in a, just an impossible situation. Some of them are single parents even in this situation, and they're still able to put food in their mouth, roof over their head, education. And, and when, they, when their kids get older, they, they ask nothing but just wish that they're the best. So they could brag about it to their friends. Like, look how great my kid is. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it just, and, and just to have some like, kids just not able to see or don't want to see what their parents did for them. It, 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 or just being ungrateful for that, it, it just drives me crazy. No, I mean, it, it's about the culture and society that, again, the, it's a cliche almost, but it's East versus West. And we, we were taught since birth that education is, is important. Family is important. Yes. Yeah. And I can imagine other people may have different priorities. Maybe that uh, pair of Air Jordan is, is the most important thing in your life. And, and that's a whole different set of priorities. And it goes back to materialism. And minimalism, and or just looking, being more centric to yourself, and understanding what's out there. And I guess as a child, that's acceptable, yeah. right? When you're a teenager, you're still looking for your identity, how you're going to add value in this world, and how you're going to be perceived as a man in demand, right? I know I I, I was looking at myself through those lens when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and as I grew older, I, I I learned to care less about those things because i understood that it really didn't matter that i was looking at everything incorrectly i was upside down when i came to accept myself for who i am and looked at 
the positives and the things that I really wanted to contribute and the bridges that I wanted to create to other people and allowing a highway into me and, and vice versa. It just created so much more happiness and joy in my life. Whereas before I kind of closed off and I only allowed certain aspects in that I probably shouldn't have. And it was very shallow and material. And I learned a great deal from that. Well, you're fortunate enough to be uh, able to um, critically think yeah. uh, about things in such a way that you can see that. Um, as we said earlier, this country is, is basically a big experiment. Uh, some aspects of this experiment has succeeded wildly, and certain aspects of this great experiment have not worked out that well as we've seen in the past four or five years yeah so where do you think we're headed to in the next decade gosh i wish i had that crystal ball but um i i see we we have so many different things now um i see the uh, availability of information is so great and so easy that um, w trying to navigate this infinite field of information, whether it's the right information or the or misinformation, or misinformation is difficult. And I think that's going to be a good thing and a terrible thing at the same time in the next 10 years. Because we've never had this much information at our fingertips. And I also think, like, we never really had that conversation. I mean, that really, com the conversation about misinformation and the information that uh, access that people are getting now, it's it's really in the, the sphere of being talked about, you know, in government and everything else. So, I mean, we don't know what's what's the future will bring. But I think that because we're having those conversations that it will eventually get to a point where, you know, it makes makes things i would say like it'll 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 evolve it'll evolve yeah yeah the one thing that you can be sure about life it never stays the same oh that's mm -hmm. absolutely right one thing that i know is constant is change yeah yeah um i i just i just wanted to get your take on also uh what do you think is going to happen with uh you know the film industry uh for asian americans you know in front of the camera behind the camera because you know what uh, the, the oscars just happened um, you know, Chloe, Chloe Zhao, she won Best Director. Uh, amazing. Um, awesome. A lot of things changing in the film industry. Right but now. also, at the same time, ratings are down. People seem to care a lot less about Hollywood. Yeah, well, I think my take on that is that at one time, Hollywood was the center of the world of cinema. And not long ago. We're talking like maybe 10, 15 years ago right. it was at the center. Right, yeah. but, but with the advent of... Everything from larger TV screens for your home to streaming to all of this that just came about like a flood in the past 10 years. Yeah, and also movies uh, uh, premiering the same day as in theaters. Yeah, yeah. So, so that changes the landscape of our movie cinema going experience. Uh, experience. And mm -hmm. uh, I think it's a good thing. Uh, the bad thing about it is that somehow... I see there's the the quality of content I can be diluted. Uh, and diluted meaning that 
fresh, original, exciting ideas are rare. That's why you see so many sequels being filmed. Remakes. Remakes. Uh, because it's, it's extremely difficult to try to do something that's not done before. That is extremely difficult. However, the barrier to entry of getting into a film and making it with just a group of friends and a crowdfunding, you can just put it out there with a Kickstarter. I think it allows access or wave of content creators who may have a script ready to go or with an original story from where they're from. And they're able to tell them people may people will get to vote with their money mm-hmm. if they want to see that or not. And I think yeah. people will vote yes. I want to see original stuff, and and it's going to allow these people to share these stories. Well, that's the thing. Uh, I think the um, idea of a world cinema is becoming more and more um, possible. Again, because our viewing habits are changed because of technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one time, it would be unthinkable to to watch and enjoy a, a movie at home because your TV screen was only 15 inches. Uh, right, right. But now, you can have... 80, home, 85 inches. You can, <laughs> so so that, that, those differences are being um, narrowed you know, right, right. by the day. Almost. Definitely get a nice home theater experience yeah, without yeah. having to leave your home. Right, so right. So that's huge. It's, it's always uh, whatever's more easy. Yeah. How do we make it easy? And yet at the same time, there's nothing like the theater experience where you're in a, a dark room. I love that. Where you're with, with a crowd of people mm. uh, experiencing a uh, something that is uh, the, the same for everyone. You're here, you're watching the same film with the same sound, with the same actors, the same story at the same time. And that's that's a group experience. Uh, I'm not saying that uh, watching a film at home is terrible. There's It's got its advantages. I think it, it basically makes a lot of films more accessible. And there's more build-up too, right? You got to wait in line, get yeah, the popcorn, right, right, right. look at the trailers. I it's mean, a at, at one yeah. time, uh, going to the theater, you dress up. Right? <laughs> it, it, it becomes yeah. uh, this this formal, unique experience um, where you, you can watch a, a film anytime at home, as as big as your TV screen may be, mm-hmm. becomes um, somewhat pedestrian after a while because there is something something about watching a movie in a theater in a screen that you can't possibly fit in your home right. uh, and, that's special and i think yeah um yeah you 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 have that nostalgic feel, feeling because i remember going to the movies with my dad and the movies we would go watch was teenage mutant ninja, ninja turtles and oh, Bruce yeah, Lee films and i'm like awesome. those are the memories that make me want to go yeah. back to 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 see a movie in a theater and plus, I think the the movie uh, the theater industry, uh, movie in theater industry is evolving. You have bigger screens, IMAX. Um, you know, they have, they serve food right at the you know inside the theater while you're watching the movie. Seats right. recline, right. all that stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Where it feels like you're sitting on a couch. Right. I think both uh, things can exist. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope I, they do. Yeah. I yeah. hope they they do. Because that again, in the past, when when the only way to see a film is to go to a theater uh once the run for that movie is gone for that theater 
you can't really right. quite yeah. get it back again. Yeah. I mean, it's just an event. I, I love, I can't tell you how much I love um, the experience. I think it's irreplaceable. That they would never be able to replace is the experience of getting together with your friends and going, hey, we're going to watch this film and being in a theater full, full of uh, like hundreds of people and just going, oh, just being complete awe of the film or at the end, if it's a great film, everyone gives a round of applause or just going there with my my family, just having that memory that, hey, my dad took me here. I went here with my brother or I took my kid to this to watch their first film. Uh, there's just something there that I think uh, at home theater systems can't replace. Right. Yeah, I agree. There's yeah. a place for both. I think, uh, you know, when you're saying that, I, I, I think about sports events. People can watch uh, sports on TV. But still, they go to live events and they go, you know, to the stadium because the mm. energy is different. You know, you're doing Absolutely. this with people around you who are, who are cheering at the same time, you know. It makes it better, yeah. actually. You know, no, it intensifies I love, everything. Yeah, I love sporting events live. Yeah, mm. something, well, there is an immediacy to live events, whether you're going to a play or a musical show on Broadway or a sporting event. Mm. Now, curiously enough, though, sporting events are better covered on TV. Because you have multiple cameras, you can have replays and, and so on and so forth. So, so true. It, it, in some ways, is covered better. You may not be dealing with the elements of the weather. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So, yeah. But at the same time, there is such a precious immediacy to being, to the event, to, be, to the experience that can never be uh, replaced. Replace, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I agree with you a thousand percent. Mm-hmm. I think we're all on the same page yeah. on that one. Yeah. It's a beauty about it. Now, moving forward, like how much has things changed for Asian Americans in film, in cinema, from when you started to now, and then where do you see it after the fact? I think things have changed. I, again, I, 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 I use the term world cinema as opposed to Hollywood cinema. I noticed that. Mm. All right? Um, mm. In particular, this year, when Chloe Zhao uh, wins an Oscar for making a film that transcended her ethnicity. Mm. All right? Yeah, right, right. Um, so many Asian storylines are helmed by somebody who's Asian and the, the storyline is Asian and, 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 and the actors are Asian, which I support, of course. But somehow, uh, and Ang Lee has done this already in the past where he has made films that... Um, transcended his ethnicity. Uh, and I truly believe, I truly want the day to come when we can all make films that have nothing to do with our race. Oh, and that's, that's, that, a that, that's, that's beautiful. the mark of a true artist. Yes. And, and, you, and the thing is, I don't think you can just pick anybody out of a crowd and say, here, you of one race make this story about a different race. I, don't, I just don't think that happens automatically. The person has to have the right sensitivity and, and the right open-mindedness and the right skill and talent to transcend that. I don't think it, it is an easy thing. It certainly isn't, especially yeah. if you're not of that. Right. Kind of, yeah. but, but it's not impossible because I, we've all seen films made, by, made and written by people who or not the same ethnicity of the subject matter of the film. Now, there's a huge debate about that, right? Isn't there? Uh, th- They're I'm going, sure. why is this 
person who isn't Asian writing about an Asian story? Why this person who isn't black writing about the black experience? Yeah, see, see, um, that's a double-edged sword. I, I understand the pushback about that. Mm-hmm. And I think the pushback regarding that stems from all the bad films made by people who attempted to make those films put together a story that they are not intimately familiar with and another argument i i I believe they're just saying like there aren't enough of us already opportunity there's very minimal opportunities for us whether we're gay black asian or whatever we are there there just not that many opportunities to work on a project that's true to us and who we are why would you hire someone else to do it yeah you see again that is uh, a a tricky statement to dive into because as i said earlier um the film industry is an art form that relies on commerce uh you it takes so much money and so many people you've heard the the the, the phrase it takes an, a village to make a film right uh and, and and I think it's because of that that people have to think in terms of how, like I said, every film is about making the next film. If, if you lose money in your first film, you're not going to make your second film. So you're saying that there's the monetary gain is weighs more than any political. I don't know if it weighs more, but it certainly is a big factor. And again, you can't make a film without any resource mm-hmm. and whatever resource you need to make a film there's a cost to it i think that's changing uh it's changing Definitely. so the rules of the game may be rewritten oh yeah it's changing because again the technology is changing uh, right. uh not too long ago we use real film that's for right. a film that's why it's called filmmaking now i can you really call it filmmaking now that it's in video uh, again uh, movie uh, making yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um just um the fact that there's no film involved means the editing process is a little easier much easier right? uh, they, don't have to cut, they don't have to cut tape and, and yet at the same time because technology is making film uh filmmaking easier the cameras are smaller mm-hmm uh, people are using drones to get overhead shots. I mean, it, 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 it really is, it means making a film on one level has gotten easier. Uh, but in some ways, filmmaking will never be easier because no matter how much resource you want, you're always going to want more. No matter how much Ain't time, that the damn truth. <laughs> no matter how much money you have, you never quite have enough to do what you want. That's just uh, the, the, uh, uh, an aspect of human nature. Uh, yeah. uh, if you have a million dollars to make a film, somehow you make. You have to get to the finish line. Yeah. And, and I, you make it work. And I, I think that, um, I mean, going back to what you said, that the barrier entry of making films, it's, it's going to be lower. I'm, you're going to have those stories that people who you know, our immigrant background or, or people who couldn't afford these resources, they're going to be able to make these films and tell their stories. And that's what I think the, the technology, the evolution of that, the technology, uh, uh, different ways to raise money now. Um, it's You don't have to go to like 
a big uh you know a big financier or a big investor to raise money now you can just go to the public and say here here's my story i want to tell it do you do you guys want to hear this story and if they do they can raise that money to, to produce it yeah I, i'm not sure if it's quite that simple either uh, <laughs> yeah you make yo, it sound I mean, super yo, simple yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Like, no no yeah. I was, I was, there's a lot of components yeah yeah but, there's a lot of components and i believe nobody sets out to make a bad film I agree. Anybody mm. who sets out to make a film, no matter how experienced or inexperienced they are, no matter how much money they have or how little money they have, they want to make the best film they possibly can. And yet, we've all seen bad films. Why is that? Because there are so many factors. Nobody knows how a film will turn out until after you finish it. Every film you make is like a prototype. Uh, And like any prototype, the first prototype you make is going to have a lot of problems by its very nature. Mm -hmm. Now, if you go and make the same film again, like in the assembly line, making soup soup cans, that second film will be better, hopefully, and and more efficient uh, in your making. But nobody makes the same film again you know right so every film that you make is a first effort at some art project and you're not going to really know how it's going to turn out until the music is in unless you edit it and so on and so forth and that's the difficult thing about making a film you just don't know how it's going to turn out right there's just so many things that needs to be done right yes Yes. So many, even like you even said, people don't understand even like the music, how right. important that is. Yes. Or the audio quality. Right. Which is, I think, one of the most important uh, things that should be on everyone's list is audio quality, no right. matter what kind of video you're making. Sure. Sure. You, know, you can't even sit through a bad audio, even if the picture is just the most gorgeous things you've ever seen. Right, right. You know, yeah. I would watch it on mute if I, you know. It's a silent film. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, that said, um, Thank you for your time, Wing. You are a wealth of knowledge and the experience that you bring. It's, it's quite fascinating and, and unique. Well, I want more Asians in the film industry. And if I can do something or say something that will be helpful, as long as it's honest and the truth, uh, you know, I just want to um, pass it down. That's beautiful. Well, to conclude, um, being that it's the beginning of Asian American Pacific Islander Month, mm-hmm. I'd like to encourage people to go see a film about Asian Americans. Go read a book written by an Asian American. Go listen to music done by Asian Americans. You know, Because um, we've come a long way. But we have have a long way to go, and the best way to support ourselves is to celebrate ourselves. Mm. Hey, well said, Wing, my man. You inspired me today. I love it, Wing. Thank you so much for your time. This is Lucky Boys. We are out. Thanks for listening and supporting the podcast. Check us out on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts for the rest of our episodes.